Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Campionato di calcio italiano. And welcome to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy. And Kev, you're with me again. There's no veto this week. It's just the two of us. I know. Very, uh, very personal. Yeah, nice to quite, be here, Connor. It is nice and intimate, right? Um, yeah. But uh, that man, Kev, does have a full name. It's Kevin Pogazowski, or another pronunciation that neither of us can quite master. But, Kev, this was a big weekend in Serie A. It was a big weekend for us. And I'm going to be selfish to start the podcast off because until this weekend, our record of games attended this season was seven. This weekend, we had riders at eight of the ten Serie A games to take place, which was pretty impressive. We thought we were going to be able to get to all ten until early next week, last week when some things just fell out of place, unfortunately. But... We're targeting the week when we can get to all 10 and it's going to be a, a joyous occasion. But Kev, it's good to have you here with me because I'm tired. So you're going to have to speak because I was all over the place. But where shall we start? I guess we should start for no reason other than to get out of the way with Juve 4, Udinese 1. Um, I say Juventus, but it wasn't really Juventus, was it? It was more like a collection of players who have been out on loan at other places, but were still owned by Juventus and you forgot about them. And they are now their reserve team. So the reserves beat Udinese 4-1. What's the point? I don't understand. No, it was, um, it, it was the, the game itself was very much a, a non-event because of probably, I think I counted three players that I would maybe expect to start against Atletico on uh, on Tuesday night or tomorrow. No, tomorrow night, today. <laughs> Where am I? I don't know. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So yeah. So the game itself was a bit of a non-event, but it did it did raise the question as to why they were even playing it on a Friday night. I think I've, I first remember this happening. I think Ligue 1 in France may have set this trend about ten years ago with the that that very uh, that very strong Lyon side that won seven or eight back-to-back titles, and they play games on Friday nights when uh, Lyon had a Champions League game. But with uh, with Juventus 16 points ahead at that point on Friday and able to rest the number of players that they rested, you just you just wonder why the league even allowed the well probably I imagine the league scheduled it to, to happen like that in in a, in a way of helping them. It's quite strange, isn't it? Because even if Juve weren't 16 points ahead, as you said, you look at the team. There's what three players who will play. In midweek, they didn't need to play this game so early because it's not the same set of players who will play. But it's a sensitive one, I guess, because if they are changing games for everyone, the league can't then determine, oh, well, you guys are strong enough to deal with it so you can play on the Saturday and we'll let everyone else in the Champions League play their games on the Friday. But it did just seem a little bit odd because, look, you see, Moise Ken and... Leonardo Spinazzola and oh, who else played? But they're not going to... Even Martin Caceres played. Andrea Barzali played. They're not going to play. Um, so it's it's a strange one. And of course, Udinese being Udinese couldn't make anything of a quite favourable situation considering... You could, have, you could have even made the argument that Allegri could have used it to actually prepare for Atletico. You know, if he put a strong side out... Arguably, Udinese would have defended a little bit deeper, which I kind of expect Atletico to do on Tuesday night. Uh, you know, and it, and it, they would have taken it easy. Let's face it: if the players that were going to play on Tuesday were playing on Friday night, they would have taken it a little bit easy, but trying to work their way through a packed defence, which would be great preparation for for their Champions League time. Yeah, for sure, it is strange. They they might have even done it the other way around. If they played with eight first team players, rested a couple. Mm. put in the likes of Ken right he's hungry plays well whenever he plays now at Juve this season because he knows that he's not going to have many opportunities but if he played with the majority of their first team they'd still have taken care of Udinese quite handily they wouldn't have had to exert themselves too much and yeah it would have been nice preparation for what's going to be a really really difficult game this will be a difficult game for them if Juve had to win just 1-0 Juve are 2-0 behind coming into this so it's going to be a tricky situation for them, but they're already going big. As we saw Massimiliano Allegri, basically the day after the Atletico Madrid loss, spoke about how they had 20 days to prepare for the second leg, almost writing off the Serie A games that fell in between, one of them being against Napoli. And then they put out this video for to, to get people's blood pumping, Kev. It was I, I, I just hated it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't. I don't follow their social media streams necessarily, but yeah, because so many people retweet them, and they come past me. But if I've got if, if if I've got one gripe with the whole video, it's in English. I know they've gotten two English actors. There is something very sad about a club that's in in Italy that need, then needs to make their social media streams. English because they're trying to hit that that worldwide audience. 
You know, even the hashtag get ready is in English. You know, we are not all imbeciles. <laughs> put it in put it in Italian and let us read subtitles. Or just do the English tweet on your English account. Yes, That's yeah, generally. I've got multiple multiple language accounts. Yeah, I it, really don't understand it. I, no. You, your first three words, I hated it. Sum up my feelings towards the whole thing. And I think a lot of people's feelings, even many Juventus fans were probably quite embarrassed. By to to defend Juventus, well, no, sorry, not to defend Juventus, but there are a lot of things I hate about modern football. <laughs> <laughs> but this whole social media, you know, this PR game that all these clubs play, you know, it's... You're not family. You're, 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 you know, you're not fans. You're family. All this uh, uh, just makes my blood boil. Yeah, and then I, I don't know. Juventus are just quite a frustrating case because the, the, we had the whole changing crest thing recently, and it was to, yes. to make themselves a a global a lifestyle brand, not a football club. And this probably just fits in with that. To be a lifestyle brand, you have to appeal all around the world. English is the most widely spoken language. But I think the fans are getting bored of it. Well, you would, wouldn't you? It would drive you insane. Fans are losing interest. You know, I've, I've seen reports. Well, actually, I, when I was, I saw reports about the Curva Sud uh, complaining about the ticket prices, and they are ridiculously high uh, at Juve. Um, and at the same time, I saw an article that went out. Oh, it might have been a couple of months ago about them. They can, if they want to, the way the, the, way the stadium's been built add another 20,000 or so or, or just under to make it 60,000, you know, but, but the whole idea of them getting a 40, is it 45, 42, isn't it? 42,000 yeah. seat stadium was that it was filled. It was filled and it wasn't empty. Like the old, uh, the Alpi used to be. And, and now you've just got empty seats in that Udinese game because I think that the league's over, you know, what are they playing for? But this is it. And I don't want it to seem like we're just bashing them, right? But because they made such a song and dance about making the smaller stadium so that with Villa and the atmosphere will be amazing and people go on about how great it is, that stadium looks pathetic when it's not full. And it's mm. never full. It, for big games, yeah, but 90% of the time, that stadium just looks bad. And with the ultras not being happy with the club at the moment, it, it makes for a really joyless occasion to watch Juventus um, I'm quite glad, actually, that Dolph does the games there because... They've, they've added pressure on themselves to win the Champions League this year. They brought in Ronaldo, you know, almost to... That, that will almost justify the high ticket prices that the, the fans play, uh, pay, sorry. You know, and then they're, they're likely to go out, let's face it. You know, I, I, I don't give them much hope. It's probably 65. 40, if I'm being generous, in Atletico's uh, favour to go through. So if they go out in the last 16, the league's already won, which is you know, been a bit of a cakewalk. You know, how can they justify the prices that they're, they're, they're charging the fans and, you know, when everybody knows what huge salary Ronaldo came in on this year? Yeah, but they can't. And this is what we were saying. If they don't win the Champions League, their season hasn't been a success. They've just done the least they were expected to do before the season started. And Allegri was speaking about this in the week, and he he was furious with the idea that their season could be a failure if they won Serie A. And winning Serie A is an achievement for normal clubs. Juventus aren't that anymore. They are 
a team who wins Serie A, and that is the minimum expectation. So, I wouldn't blame Allegri for that though. For you know, doing, well, for, well, you know, all this pressure being heaped on the Champions League as such. You know, he's gotten to two finals. You know, you know, I don't think he can ever be te- deemed a failure if he no. if he doesn't pick it up while he's there. Because at the end of the day, it is a knockout competition, and when you get through, it's it's kind of luck of the draw. It's got you know, you, you had the penalty decision last year against Real Madrid. It's it's fine margins cup competitions I do agree with that I, I don't think you could blame Allegri for them not winning the Champions League but if they go out this season you could certainly hold them accountable for the mistakes he made in the first leg against Atletico the way he set that team up then just didn't seem right at the time and it, it proved to be but as things stand they're they're on to win Sarian as early as April 13th away to Spal which that's if what they win all their games and everyone else does too but you could see it happening before that because yeah when Napoli drew at Sassuolo, I was there for that one. And they just... Ancelotti made a lot of changes, but Napoli were never really on it. They they showed in bursts that they were able to, to attack really quickly and impressively and effectively, but those bursts were too sporadic. There was no consistency to their play. And in truth, Sassuolo dominated them. And you put it to me beforehand, have, have Napoli just completely given up on Serie A? I, I would say they have, and I think I was about to say that that defeat against Juventus crushed their morale. But I don't, I don't know if any of them really expected to win. I think they, I think they just saw it as let's not make this an embarrassment this season. They got so close last year, and if they'd beaten Juventus, it'd been thirteen points. They could have probably dug in for the rest of the season, and you know, and got a little bit closer, maybe finished with 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 Juve's possible drop off if they did proceed through the Champions League you know, get within uh, a, a reasonable margin uh, again. But but now it, it, it's it, it's over for them, really. And they've got the Europa League to focus on, which I, which I do, look, you know, watching them play last Thursday, I think they are actually going to have a good crack at that. Yeah, well, they're 3-0 up against Red Bull from the first leg, obviously, and you would expect them to go through. You'd expect them to score out there as well, which would make Red Bull's task uphill. But this is what made it a little bit more frustrating for me that Napoli didn't quite show up. That that tie is as is more done than Juve's tie is. So I don't see why Napoli couldn't have gone for it a little bit more because we all thought that the top three was done and dusted as Juve and Napoli Inter. Milan have shown that that's quite not the case and. Milan could now close in on Napoli and finish second if Napoli keep dropping off like this. But I don't know. It's hard to get excited about anything there, especially when it looks like the clubs themselves just don't care. I think Napoli had two games at home, though, didn't they? You know, the Red uh, Red Bull, the Salzburg game was at home and the uh, the game against Juve was at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of pressure from that crowd at times. You know, I was there for the Champions League tie against Liverpool earlier in the season and it's got to be it's got to be difficult to play under and then when you when you go away to play at Sassuolo it must feel a little bit like a holiday and I think it can then mean that you have that downing of tools so to speak um you know just taking it a little bit easier it's funny that you say it must be like a holiday because it actually did feel like a preseason game where a big club have gone somewhere in Italy where they have some fans and they're just putting on a bit of a show for them because from before the game, the Napoli fans outnumbered the Sassuolo fans at the Mape stadium because 
there are Napolitani everywhere in Italy. And Sassuolo are a tiny, tiny team who don't even play in their own town. So Sassuolo never fill the Mape, never even fill there the end that the Ultras occupy. And there was, there was a really funny moment early in the game where Sassuolo must have had about 20 Ultras there and they started to sing a song. And there was a family, like three kids, a mum and a dad of Napoli fans sitting in front of the press area. And they stood up and started whistling and it drowned out the... The, the ultras singing and the ultras then stopped and then the Napoli fans started singing again. But it, it had a really weird atmosphere because when the teams came out to warm up, Napoli got a really big reception because their fans were there early. Not just in the end either, all around the place. And when Sassuolo scored, it was, I'd say, 40% of the stadium were celebrating, 60 stayed sitting. So it did kind of have that feel, which going to the Mapei Stadium is always a strange experience for traveling sides. And maybe it did just feel like that. And it, maybe they just allowed themselves to get switched off when they probably shouldn't have. But I don't know. It, it seems strange. Adam Unas and Simone Verdi. Verdi. Can we speak about him briefly? Because I, he, he had a couple of chances. He, he should have scored. And he's not doing himself any favors because there was one in particular where Fauci Gulam found him. I don't know why, but Verdi just decided to put his foot through it and he smashed it way, way over the crossbar. And as you see Ken do at Juve, he takes his chances, even though he knows he's probably not going to get in the first team. Verdi has to make more of these opportunities. Yeah, I'm, it was a move that frustrated me in the summer because I thought, you're not going to get past Milik. The, the next probable striker is is Mertens. They've got, they had, they had, enough in in, in attack in attacking areas Napoli and you know I hate to see those those players that are doing so well because they're playing every week they've got that match sharpness they're maybe not snatching at the shots like you described there and then they make that move and then it's you know they go out with a kind of a whimper until they then they they crop up two three years later that little bit older you know and, and having a sort of almost start over again as he was at Bologna last year. See, I, I criticised them for not making the move when he turned it down in January. And, and I thought, well, this was just the perfect opportunity for him to go because Napoli's, Napoli's team had started to show some cracks. People were saying rotations need to happen, particularly in the front three. Verdi had the opportunity to go there and compete for the title and he didn't do it. And to me, that said a lot that he, he, he didn't quite back himself to... To push it, yeah. to push himself at the highest level, he thought that he was resigned to the fact that he'd go to Napoli and just do nothing. So then, when he made the move in the summer, it was doubly strange because having previously said no when you could have gone and competed for a title, you're now going to the same situation with the same set of players, and suddenly you fancy yourself to get to get in. I, I, no, I agree. I think I think it was that lack of move in the summer that uh, sorry in the in the winter window that made the the move in the summer so strange because that's where we had more time to assess where am I going to get game time you know where is my career going to progress you know he he broken into the uh, the italian side uh playing at bologna and yeah it was a strange one it really was there were obviously the rumors when he turned down napoli in the winter that 
oh, he's he's turned them down because Juve have agreed to sign him in the summer. And obviously that didn't happen. So then for him to rock up at Napoli, did it, I don't know, it's, it's a strange one. And I don't know what to think of Simone Verdi anymore. I always thought he was slightly overrated, but a bit of a talent. Now I just, I don't know what he is anymore. And he probably does need to go somewhere else again. Because it's Back just to Bologna. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But to be fair to Bologna, I won't be mean about them this week because I had a lovely time there, and we'll get to that. We will get to that. But Kev, there's a big game coming up this weekend, which is the the Milan derby, and Milan warmed up for it with the good results, even if not the best performance. They beat Chievo two one in Verona. We had Dov there, but we're not going to talk to him, as far as I'm aware. Christoph Piontek scored again. What a surprise. But what was actually somewhat shocking is that Lucas Biglia played and he scored a stunning goal. Yeah, it was... Um, I, I kind of... Because uh, Paqueta had won the free kick, I kind of expected him to allow him to step up and, and have a go. But it really... Yeah. I don't recall ever seeing Biglia strike a free kick, let alone one as accurately as he did there. It was almost as if it was grazing both crossbar and post as it sort of nestled its way into that corner. Well, this is... I'm not sure if he took free kicks, but I remember kind of falling in love with him when he was at Lazio because I love that type of player who sits deep, smashes people, and is technically excellent as well. And this is one thing that was often overlooked with him was his technical ability. And he really showed that. And obviously, he's not had the easiest of times at Milan lately, especially with his injury problems. So it was quite nice to see him get on the score sheet. And he will have been worried for his position, given Bakayoko's form there. I did quite like that Bakayoko was on Twitter celebrating Belia's goal. It's quite nice. Bakayoko just strikes. He's a really nice guy. But that was all good. And there was a bit of controversy about Christoph Piontek's goal. I don't know if you saw this one. There was the... The yeah. high, wild foot beforehand. Personally, I think everything's all right there. Uh, yeah, it, it goes into that category of you've seen them given. Um, and oddly enough, you would probably say that you you're, you often see them given in that scenario where it isn't it isn't a defender doing it and they'd be penalised with a penalty. But if an attacker attempts to have an overhead kick and it's anywhere near even say the defender's chest, then it usually gets penalised. Um, and with VAR now almost um, <laughs> increasing the amount of times where those sort of things get uh, get looked at, I was kind of expecting them to uh, to rule it out. But uh, but no, he, he took it well when it, it it came back to him. Yeah, obviously I'm not a supporter of Milan, but I was happy to see that given from a football perspective because. As a forward player myself, Kev, decisions like that going against strikers always drive me mad. So it was it was nice to see it stand. And Piontek's just he can do no wrong in my eyes at the moment. To be fair, we'll we'll talk about Inter then first before we move on to the derby. They finally won again. They beat Spal two 0 And I guess the main story here is Lautaro Martinez. He was very impressive. Yeah, he looked really sharp. Um, he was unfortunate to have that goal chalked off, even though you know it struck again. Probably the opposite to Piontek. They're ones that because you're not penalising a defender, you know it's easier to penalise the attacker for a slight brush of the arm. Um, 
somebody needed to step up in Acardi's absence, and um, Martinez has really done that in the last few weeks. You know, he scored some, he scored some. I was going to say vital goals, but he sort of chipped in with a few while they've been going through this sort of rough patch. Um, I don't think it's going to fully convince the Inter owners that he's going to be a direct replacement for Acardi just to do they decide to cash in. Um, but it, it's least positive that the whole team aren't you know looking looking to use Acardi's absence of kind of an excuse for this downturn in form yeah well it's strange because sorry I'm just distracted someone's just lost their minds in the comments a little bit we've we just had four comments from the same guy Kaká, Ronaldo, Cafu, Maradona it's like a game of word association someone says Italian football and he just shouts out these things but yeah, okay, I'm not making the link. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither, because we're talking about Inter. Cafu never played for... Maradona never played for either of the Milan clubs. But anyway, um, Lautaro isn't going to be a, a replacement for for Icardi, is he? They're completely different players. They complement each other quite well. But I don't know. The Inter squad, some of the players are obviously quite happy with what's happening with the Icardi situation, Perisic and Brozovic are two, because obviously there's the the well-known dispute between those two Croatian boys and Icardi. They don't like each other, and they seem quite happy about the fact that he's not in the team anymore. But you do think, I know we spoke about it recently, and they do probably just need to get rid of him, but they will miss his goals. And is there a way of of replacing his goals? Well, not without significant investment or certainly invest in whatever they were able to recoup for him. You know, it's, it's the, it's the Milan derby this weekend. And I was at the, uh, the tie earlier this season in the San Siro and it was dire oh, to be okay. frank. And then it was that, Oh, it could have been 94th minute winner from Arcadi. And that's what he, that's what he does. He turns a point into three or even, you know, no points into one. And the way into a sort of falling out of these Champions League spots at the moment, that's what you need for these last few weeks. And I said to you before coming online, could he make some sort of surprise appearance even from, from the bench? It doesn't look likely at the moment. He's training on his own. But I bet Spalletti would rather him be available than not at the moment you don't know with Spalletti though because he's such a stubborn character as well but we've we've heard out here that Icardi won't play again for Inter unless he was given the captaincy again which which obviously isn't the way of going about getting back on the team is it but, but then you don't know has that come from him or Wanda no I've seen some of the stuff with Wanda as well which are quite comical at times particularly when uh, Antonio Cassano has given her lessons on uh, yeah. how, how to behave or how to get her husband to behave. I know, right? When Cassano comes out of a debate as being the, the source of reason, you know you're probably an absolute moron. And that is exactly what Wanda strikes you as every time she makes a public appearance. But who do you fancy this weekend? I, fan- I fancy Milan. I think, you know, it's... <sighs> I don't think it's going to be a particularly stunning game again. Um, unless, unless there's an early goal really that forces into to, I think, I think Spalletti will play fairly cautiously. Um, 
And it could just be one of those games where Milan grinds something out and it's probably likely to be Piontek mm. to, to score the goal. Maybe almost in a reverse of earlier in the season, it'll be a late strike. I was just about to say that it's going to be an ugly game. And I think Spalletti is going to set up with one intention and it's going to be to get out of there with a draw because I, I just don't see how he's going to do anything else. He, he loves defending. He absolutely loves setting his teams up like that. And it's going to be the same, but I can just see something falling for Piontek, just something. But again, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Inter won it. It's one of those things. How Milan would it be to have this upwards trajectory to overtake Inter and then to play them in the derby when they're at their most vulnerable without their best player who's haunted you so many times and to still lose? It's it's yeah. really, really hard to predict. But it's going to be probably a terrible match to watch. But the consequences of it will make it worth watching whatever happens. Yeah, it's been it's been quite nice in a way that Inter have fallen off so far and Milan have sort of pushed on to make this actually it wasn't wasn't necessarily not a meaningful game before but you know they're they're so close in the table now that they can flip around um, in the result of a Inter victory. Yeah, well the comments are popping in now. Aaron Holland says he's not sure why, but he thinks Inter will take it. Uh, Badger says for him, he usually picks the off-form team, off team to win the derby, which I guess goes along with Aaron and says Inter. And CM Fox says, one season wonder, Piontek. Mark my words. Yeah. All right, CM Fox, we'll talk to you next season. Then I guess I'm sure you'll remind us because you, you always do. <laughs> and we have another comment, which I think is is probably going to prove true, which that a corner... A headed goal from a corner is inevitable, which it just seems it, doesn't it? It's got the Milan derby written all over it. Oh, Piontek's quite good in here. <laughs> yeah, he is, isn't he? He's pretty good at absolutely everything you'd want them to be good at, to be fair. Let's go to Rome, shall we? We had Alistair McKenzie there. Uh, I'm not going to speak to him, but I'll speak to you, Kev. I think you're good enough. There's, been a, lot of, there's <laughs> been a lot of change there. Monchi's gone. Di Francesco's gone. And dilly ding, dilly dong, Claudio Ranieri has arrived. Who saw that coming? Wow. No, I I was quite surprised by the Ranieri appointment. And, and actually, I don't I don't really blame Di Francesco for a lot of the problems at Roma. I think last year, as much as they've got some good players, you you have these seasons. You've seen plenty of teams, plenty of leagues over the years. You have that season where everything clicks and you've got probably a couple of standout players. Sometimes you lose some of those standout players and certainly Roma did in Nangalan and, and Allison. And then the, the, the season after is just almost an abject failure, you know, because the thing that, the thing that made me question if it was Di Francesco was after the, the 7-1 defeat to Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia. I watched their next game in the league and the players were playing for him. You know, there was no lack of effort. And it's almost, uh, I think um, Ranieri after tonight's game said that, you know, he was happy with the win, but performances had to be better. And I think that has been the problem with Roma this season. They, the players to a man aren't good enough to give a better performance as a team, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, they're, they're playing almost at their level. 
and just too many of them are not good enough, be it the goalkeeper, um, you know, and some others out there. There it is. I was wondering yeah, if you say it today. I thought we might get through a pod without big Robin Olsen getting a mention. People have started like tweeting me about him and it's just not, it's not my thing. Direct your tweets to at rabbit rabbit on about Robin. I saw a, I saw a statistical uh, piece. Uh, I think it was by 442 website on the, I think it was the 15 uh, players that had dipped the most in form. And, and, and Olsen was on there alongside even Mo Salah, really. It was a, it was a little bit far-fetched how minute the numbers were that they were letting goals in. But he has, he's conceded, he's conceded 22 since the turn of the year. And I think Roma wow. have, cons- I think Roma have conceded the most goals. I, I think it's out of the top half of Syria. I'm just looking at the table now. There is, there is one team in the top half who have conceded more than them, which okay. is Atalanta. But that doesn't matter because Atalanta have scored Go more on. than anyone bar Juventus. That's just yeah. the way they play. But yeah, Roma have conceded 37 goals. You mm. said you said Olsen has conceded 22 since the start of the year. Yeah, that possibly didn't include tonight because oh, I read okay. it this morning. But that is more than Juventus. It's more than Napoli. It's the same yeah. number as Inter have all season, which... It's just not good. It's really, really not good. But let's that's, that's chat about Roma then because people are popping up in the comments. People seem to get excited about Roma. I don't know why. I know Aaron Holland is a Roma fan, but the rest of them. You guys, These Roma are in touching distance with Inter. This that's, is it. That's, and that's another sort of thing you could label of why Di Francesco was doing okay with what he had. This is what I don't really understand because what are Roma's expectations to to qualify for the Champions League, right? Or to yeah. to compete to qualify for the Champions League, especially when you consider that the players that they lost and they're doing exactly that. They're only three points off, and Inter Inter could go on to lose three games in their next five. So I I really don't I think get the logic in it. They're unfortunate that they had the second leg against Porto after the Rome derby. Because it was huge disappointment from the, a fan's perspective, and then another huge disappointment on top of that. Yeah, I think if he hadn't had that game midweek, he probably would have been in post tonight. You think? If, yeah, it could be. Obviously, we've got we've got this separated last sixteen of the Champions League where Juve played to, uh, Tuesday. If that had been Roma playing this Tuesday, I think Di Francesco would have still been in a job. It is a tricky one, but the. Even the way they got knocked out of the Champions League, it's hard to blame Di Francesco for that because they were set to go to penalties and Alessandro Florenzi had a momentary lapse of um, concentration and did what he did. But Well, I uh, think it was instinctive. I mean, it was instinctive, but VAR was there to now sort of get that out of the game, if you like. Yeah, true, true, true. Aaron Holland says that all he wants for the rest of the season is for Ranieri to keep Clivert and Schick on the pitch and to just give them the ball. And I completely support that. Schick obviously scored. I was so happy to see Patrick Schick score in his first game under Claudio Ranieri because this is the time for him now, right? He's, he's got a new coach. It's a new start for him in Rome. We know what he's capable of doing and now he has the chance to do it. But how long has he got a new coach for? Because I didn't see how long Ranieri's been contracted to them for. Not you know, that I have any difference. 
you've you've put me on the spot there, but yeah, does it make any difference? I, I assumed it was a short term appointment. I didn't really look at any detail in into it, but I'm gonna look that up. Um, but but you know, can you think to yourself if if it isn't beyond the summer? then Schick's got a huge question to ask himself. Does he go and look for more playing time elsewhere or does he chance his arm in getting in favour with whoever comes in after yeah, well, Ranieri? It's a three-month contract. But yeah. Ranieri so, did actually say when he came in that he, he didn't discuss anything. He didn't discuss the length or the... Oh, no, he didn't uh, discuss money. Of course, he didn't. Yeah. That's why he might have <laughs> left that to his agent. Yeah, but I... Ranieri probably isn't the man for them long-term. Even if he does do a good job between now and the end of the season, they shouldn't give him the job on a permanent basis. Because as much as I adore that man, and I really, really love him, I think his time is is behind him. We You've saw... got to appreciate his appetite. Oh, The way he's been kicked around by like clubs over the years. Wasn't treated anywhere near as well as he should have been at Leicester. I remember Valencia. I think he got the, the short end of the stick. Even back as far as a Chelsea, he was kind of screwed over a little bit. And yeah, they didn't they didn't really value that sort of second place finish he got him in there in their uh, in his final year there. No, and this is why how has the whole world of football ever been so happy for one man in particular as it was when Claudio Ranieri was pictured beside Bocelli as he sang and Leicester were Premier League champions. It was just incredible. It's really incredible, but yeah, he's probably not. But where did they go? What happens? Because they backed the whole Monchi project. That's gone terribly. And I thought when, when Monchi left, that would have given Di Francesco a pass because he was working with the players that were brought in for him. And then to acknowledge that the guy who brought in the players wasn't doing his job well enough, to then sack the guy for not doing enough work with the players that were brought in by the wrong person. It's just, it seemed really, really strange. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Yeah, I don't know where they go, really. Maybe when Spalletti leaves Inter, they just get oh. him back for another term. No, they, they don't deserve that. Roma need to play better football. They've got the players to play really, really good football. And Spalletti's not going to do that with them. They, they need to get Zaman back. Then they'll be no, supported. Okay. There is a bit of a... Well, I think in every league, there's a bit of this uh, merry-go-round of coaches. But in the last few years, what Roma tried Rudy Garcia, who'd obviously excelled elsewhere and then obviously that didn't work out so it looked as though they went up and coming coach from Serie A and went Di Francesco now they've gone back to an aging uh, short term appointment they've got to work out what they want really yeah if you if you look at Serie A now I guess the coaches there who suit the style that Roma's players would work well with Giampiero Gasparini who to be honest, I can't see leaving Atalanta for Roma. No. Marco Giampaolo, maybe. And Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, the two of those are probably the options if they want to take someone with Serie A experience. Because after that, there's not really much, is there? Part of me, when Di Francesco went, thought that they might try and do a Madrid or whatever you want to call it and, and try and pull Totti down. I don't know if he's got any coaching badges. I'm not even sure if he's got any inclination to go into coaching. But it, it it's just that, you know, that's, that's almost it, isn't it? You've done foreign coach that excelled elsewhere. You've got ex-Roma local Italian coach, aging, aging uh, coach, and then you go ex-superstar. Yeah, it is. If Ancelotti wasn't at Napoli, you could see him going there because he, he spent time there as a player and that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think Francesco Totti wants to go into coaching. They should just give it to... Would would they go for Sarri if Chelsea let him go? This is it. And people keep talking about this as if Sarri already has no job. But it, he he had that spell last week where people said he has three games to save his job. If he loses one of them, he's gone. He lost to City in the Cup and he didn't go. And then they beat Spurs. And I don't know. I, I just think... And I, I'm definitely going to sound stupid here, but for once, it seems like Chelsea are going to stick with someone. I think I think this summer you could see a, a clearing out of the players that have previously, I was going to say caused grief for the coach, but the ones that effectively start the player mutiny. You know, there's a lot of player power at Chelsea. And I think, uh, I think whoever it is is running the club because Abram- Abramovich isn't, you know, in the country at the moment they could actually, not force, but realise that they've got to get those players out really now and start almost afresh with another generation of uh, of players that, that Sari could effectively mould. I guess it's also dependent on the, um, if the transfer ban is upheld, if that's upheld, it probably more, makes more sense to keep him because he can work with these players. Uh, but then if it's not upheld, they can sign the players that he wants. So I don't if, they, if they drop out of the Champions League for a second successive season, though, they're going to have to get some money off their wage bill. And they've got 40-plus players on loan, so oh. they're at good clubs. They're not bad players. Yeah. yeah, but are they... Chelsea don't care, do they? They want, they'd rather move them on than play them. I, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really, it looks like... Zidane's back at Madrid now, so Hazard will be off there, probably. But, yeah, I haven't thought about that, actually. 
We've got Vito in the comments. Vito, hello. It's it's nice to see your voice. We called it, Kev. We knew Vito's he... doing hashtag sorry for Roma. <laughs> just he... a, just a Jan- Marco Giampaolo doesn't go there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Vito says he blames Monchi more than Di Francesco, kind of echoing what we've said, really. And that Olsen, Marcano, Pastore and George have been flops, which is which is true. And then Vito's just having, having the bants with people in the comments, even when he's not here. It's good to see. Um, I hope you're having a fantastic weekend away, Fino, by the way. We, we miss you on here. Kev, what are we talking about next? Because we, we've... Oh, well, what are we next? We'll go to... Ah, let's do Sampdoria Atalanta to welcome Vito. To oh, the yes. Oh. This was one of the most confusing games I've ever seen in my life because Sampdoria were playing at home in what effectively looked like Atalanta's away kit and Atalanta were playing away in what looked exactly like Sampdoria's home kit. I didn't like this. No, you're going to get another middle-aged grumble from me. <laughs> if if 37 is middle-aged. But yeah, no, I, it just... I, I watched... Because I, I only saw this in the highlights. So I watched the highlights. And the first couple of sort of pieces of action, I thought it was Sampdoria attacking. Because like you say, if, although it was uh, Atlanta's traditional black and blue stripes... They're in white shorts. They're in white socks, um, and oh, it just it just frustrates me. It's everything's a, a bit like a bit going back to Juve's video. Everything's a bit of a PR campaign and all this, and yeah, you know, it, and it's just oh, just playing your strips. I think you're being a bit too negative about this because I, while I agree, it looked ridiculous. The shirt was nice, and it was a nice gesture. They're often nice shirts, and it's often a nice gesture. But it's done so much. Yeah. You know, they should possibly allow them. Well, this might be the only time Sampdoria have done it. But let's allow them to do it when it's a proper anniversary. Not it's like the 19th, you know, the 19th year of something. You know, you do see it. There was earlier in the season, I saw Spal play at home in a in a, in a a sort of a dark, bluey, green kit. Oh, it was yeah. lovely. It was a beautiful kit. I have no idea still to this day what they were wearing it for. No, I can't remember that either. But it was it was really nice, wasn't it? Oh, that's that's annoying me now. Vito, go look up what that spell is yeah. for while you're watching it. Yeah. We never got to it on the pod that week. But mm. uh but yeah, but again I think it was something yeah, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, it was it's one of those things. We're stuck with it, I think. Yeah, I w- I was watching this game on on my phone while first moving quite quickly to get from the, the, the Dalara to the train station so I could get to the Mape. And I was so confused watching it because I was like looking up and looking down a lot. And every time I looked down, I just kept forgetting who was wearing what. So I was nearly celebrating the Quagliarella's penalty at one point. It was just bizarre. But can we give Robin Gosson some credit for that goal? Because, oh, my God, I don't know how he did it. He was like flying through the air and he put it in from a ridiculous angle. I don't think he meant it. Oh, come on. No, he he was trying to put that across the box. No, that's, no, that's no, that's not. That wasn't an attempt at a shot. I thought you were about to give give uh, Qualiella some credit for hitting twenty goals in the well, season yeah, for the first well, time. Yeah, but, yeah, but Robin Gosson's yeah. incredible. I I I think he was doing what every good professional should do, <laughs> and putting it low across the box, as close to the goal as he could. Yeah, and it went really close to the goal. So it was actually it went, it was it went, good. It went in. Yeah, no, I um, he was he was putting it in the right area. 
Yeah, and it went in the. the exact he wasn't. Way. He wasn't striking. It was an excellent. It was an excellent piece of technique to get the ball back across and into the goal. Mm. Um, on the other Sorry end. Sorry to shoot you down there. Zapata's goal was funny. That was like I don't know if you play FIFA, but mm. on last year's FIFA, the penalties were really weird. So the easiest way to take a penalty was to just kick it as soft as you possibly could. So, so it like trickles in and the goalkeeper dives over. And that's effectively what happened here. Yeah, it certainly trickled in. It was, it was really fantastic. And there was a great picture of Odero because Odero realizes there's nothing he can do, but he has time to get back up and moan while the ball's still trickling towards the goal. It was just so, so good. But um, Jean-Pierre Gasparini got sent off and he did a funny because he got sent off because Samp were given a penalty that, I don't know about you, this was not a penalty. Gomez took the ball down. And who was it? Was it Gabbiadini that got in between him and the ball? Uh, Gaston, I think, got between him and the ball. So oh, no, yes, had to run into him. And Gaston went down. I don't see how this can be a penalty. I, I think I was going to say the uh, seen him given again. I, I, think, I think what doesn't help Gomez is he's so small. Yeah, so he, he has to like kind of jump. Yeah, because it makes him, you know, because I think he's partially trying to jump out the way, partially trying to sort of let you, you kind of, you, you just naturally kind of let the player know you're you're there. So they, they're not going to get injured, if anything. But this, this one, right? And it just made it look really bad. Because Gomez controls it. If Gomez falls down, surely it's obstruction from Gaston and it's a free out. Because Ramirez put himself directly in between Gomez and the ball after the first touch. So I, I really don't understand it. And Gasp was fuming. And you saw, I, lo- I love when he gets angry. He's, he's amazing value when he gets angry. He's quite an underrated madman. And he walked across the pitch and the Sam fans, obviously with him being ex-Genoa, were giving him stick. And then one of the club delegates at Sam was standing in the tunnel. Yeah. And and Gasp just gave him a push. It was it was really funny. It's one that you can't not find this amusing. It was funny because you also saw that plastic sort of tunnel thing shake as well. As you know, the, what if, the only way it would have been better if if the Sampdoria official had fallen through. Yeah, the sort of plastic sort it of was uh, made of tunnel. like crap paper, and he just fell yeah. straight out the other side. Oh. But I enjoyed it so much. I've watched the little videos of Gasp doing the push so many times. It's such an undignified fall as well. Because obviously the, the guy he pushes is like, he's not a young man, right? So, but, no, but he's also not expecting it either. Because I'm not, I don't know if he was putting his hand out to, I don't know to say, yeah. you know, oh, never mind, never mind. But Condolences. Of it. It's hard yeah. to know what was being said. But that's a, that's a huge win for Atalanta. And what's a tricky place to go. So now, them and Torino are level in sixth and seventh on on forty four points apiece, three points off Roma and six off Inter, which isn't impossible, but it's, no. it is unlikely, you would say. But who knows? The way things are in Serie A this season, aside from Juventus, anything seems like it could happen. Uh, right, next up, what have we got? Let's talk about Parma. I was I was at the Parma game. They beat Genoa one 0 so Vito can be cheered up with this and. I think they deserved it. Yuri Kuchka got the goal. And it was, again, Scrappy. a little bit of comedy in this. It was it was a little comical, yeah. 
It was uh, who was it who tries to kick the ball and just air kicks and it strikes it strike the post or the. Luca Rigoni like just ran into the ball, didn't he? And like fumbled it off the post with possibly his hand, which is why the thing went to VAR. But it was it was it was very funny. I was happy for Kuchka actually because I spent a bit of time with him in the week, and he, he's a bloody nice guy, you know. So it was good to see him get on the score sheet against his former club, and of course he didn't celebrate. I was, uh, guys, like, uh, we have to talk about Bruno Alves again. He's so good. It's unbelievable how good he is. Everything that goes near the box, he just eats it. And the only two times Genoa had any joy from putting the ball in the box were because they had Sanabria peel away from um, Alves and the balls were just played miles away from him. So the idea then was to, hit it into the box, but as far away from Alves as possible and then knock it back and hope for you in the second ball. And they had a couple of chances from that, but Alves is absolutely phenomenal. I, I think that's where you realise how good those players are when they can play at that level into, into their mid to late thirties mm. and, and still be, and still be performing. I know you don't necessarily have to, you know, have a pace like a winger does as you, you know, as your years decline as a defender. But uh, just to still be operating at that level, you know, you realise how good they are positionally. Honestly, the, the level of performance and consistency of Bruno Alves this season, I'd go as far as to say he's the best defender in Italy this season. And by extension, one of the best performing defenders in Europe. I know Romagnoli at Milan, oh, fantastic. Musacchio as well. But Bruno Alves is just... And when you take into consideration the team he has around him, it's not that strong. And the extra responsibility he has because he's got Luigi Giuseppe playing behind him, he's just been so, so good. And I, I tweeted like quite late on Saturday night that I just couldn't stop thinking about Bruno Alves and how good he was. Just all mm-hmm. I can think about now. It's just him. I was quite surprised because you. I think when we spoke before the pod, you said, Palmer finally won. So I, I looked it up and it was their first win since the 19th of January. Yeah, they've not been very good, especially at home. Well. You say they've not been very good. The results haven't been very good, but they've had some good performances in there. The 3-3 the, the uh, with, with Juve must have been within that time period. Yeah, but again, that was just Gervinho. Mm. You know, Gervinho just produced a couple of moments and that was it. I think we forget that they they're newly promoted to be sitting eleventh. I'm not holding it against them. They've they've had a good yeah. season, and they did start the season very very well. And their um, CEO was talking to everyone around here, and I mentioned to him about them getting the Europa League, and he, he was like, "You're crazy! You're crazy! We're not thinking about that." But then he went on to say that everyone keeps talking about the Europa League, so. He was trying to keep everyone's expectations down. And I think he, he's done a good job because Palmer, they're fine. They'll finish mid-table this season and then they can build next. And that's exactly what they will have wanted this term. I find it strange that people seem to be, maybe it's a bit strong, anti-Palmer, you know, within Italy. Because, I mean, lots of people see them as a big club because what they did in the the late 90s, early millennium and, and that's really their own only really real sort of period of um of sort of winning trophies so they're, they're like a big club but they're not 
you know other other people in Italy maybe say oh they're not they're not really really a big club I think the reason a lot of people within Italy don't like them is nothing to do with the football club it's more to do with the the Parmigiani themselves because they're quite disliked around Italy they they have a reputation for being quite arrogant and quite cold and distant from everyone else they look down their nose at people that's the the stereotype I'm not saying it's true but a lot of people if you say that you live in Parma are like oh what's that like as if to be so yeah it's that's just the way Italian culture is right everyone hates people from different regions and Mm. that's just how it goes but okay where are we now all right my last game that I was at then was Bologna Cagliari and Cagliari didn't do much but Bologna were really really good and they're gonna stay up now they they've got every chance of staying up if you look at the squad they brought in um Roberto Soriano and Nicolas Sansone in this in the winter and these are players who can really really play they're now one point off safety and Empoli and Spal must be really looking over their shoulders. Yeah, those two signings really gave me confidence that they would stay up. And I'm in I'm in Bologna in April, so I'm I'm quite intrigued to see how they play on on that day. But they've still got to play Empoli. Um, Empoli have got some difficult games. I was looking at their running before coming on. Um, I, I didn't look at Spal, although they they can easily be dragged into it. And and you, I don't know. I think Mihailovic is going to do it and and get them on a little run. I think he will too. I, I was I was shocked when Sansone went there, coming back from Spain, and then Soriano going there was strange too. And I didn't think they'd do anything. But when when Inzaghi got the boot, then I thought, okay, they've hoped now because I'm not exaggerating to say Bologna. When I've seen them this season, before this weekend. They had been the worst team I've ever seen in my life. And they just sucked the joy out of everything. And bear in mind, I've been supporting a League of Ireland team since I was able to walk. Uh, So I've watched some absolute dross. But Bologna's football this season is the worst I've seen. But the other day it was good. They were actually allowed to attack. And the big man Federico Santander went off. And surprise, surprise, they looked all the better for it. But I, I did actually speak to a Bologna-based TV journalist, Alessio De Giuseppe, and he kind of explained that they know Santander's not very good. He's just, he represents like a fight and a willingness to go to war that they, their players never had before. So they like him for that more than his, his football ability because they're painfully aware that he hasn't got that much and he's not that good at scoring goals, which which I thought was quite nice. Quite nice to have my opinions backed up by someone who watches them every week. Um, but yeah, they're allowed to play football now, so I do think they'll be fine. I really do. I think this week will be quite interesting because um, Empoli have got Frosinone away. I think it's away. Anyway, they've definitely got Frosinone. And they played really well against Torino for the first half this week. And I think if, if Empoli were to lose that, or even maybe not, get three points that could be a massive sort of blow to their um to their hopes of staying up and just to their morale and i think uh who did bologna have bologna have torino Torino. so if they can get a point there and empley lose to frosnone or drop points 
I think it, I think it's just momentum then that could take Empoli down. It's the week after that, right? Bologna are at home to Sassuolo. They'll win that. And Empoli got Juve. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, I thought that had, yeah. And then this is what Alessio was saying the other day. I might insert the audio in actually just for the sake of the audio listeners. Bologna's next few fixtures on paper are a lot easier than mm. Empoli's because after Empoli play Juve, they play Napoli. <laughs> and then they play Udinese away, who are right down in there as well. And then they've got Atalanta away. So it, it Yeah, I think a lot can be said for that momentum or vice versa if you're in free fall. Um, and you just, you just can't get, you know, what, we've got 11 games left? Yeah. Still a lot of points to pay for, but uh, once you fall behind, it can be quite difficult. Kev, if you're in Bologna mm. on the, the, at the end of April, that's when Bologna play Empoli. Oh, no, I'm there the week before, the Easter uh, week. We, uh, Bologna have got Sampdoria. Oh, okay, okay. That's unfortunate because that would have been a cracking game to go to. Maybe Sampdoria wearing their proper shirts. It, it would have saved me a trip to Bologna, okay? <laughs> you could have done that one for me. Yeah, um, not there still, I'm afraid. All right, all right. Good afternoon and welcome to the Stadio Renato Dallara here in Bologna. Connor Clancy reporting as ever for Forza Italian Football. And I'm joined this week by Alessio De Giuseppe, a local journalist here. Thanks yeah. for joining me. Thanks, thanks to you. So, Bologna picked up a crucially important three points here. Puts them now within one point of safety. Can they stay up? Well, uh, today it's a sigh of relief. Uh, Bologna can't win uh, a match here at Alara since September. So uh, now it's just one point to Empoli. And uh, it's really important because uh, the atmosphere before the match was very worried because uh, relegation here is not considered a way to, to interpret for the next time. Well, this is a huge club, and we saw some of the banners in the curva were turned upside down to show the displeasure, as we've seen. Yes, because uh, they are not so um, uh, happy uh, that what management has done since today. Not for the owner. Maybe uh, they said that the owner, uh, Joy Saputo from Canada, is not too present here to follow all the problems that have this team. But the management should do more, uh, spend more, for the team because uh, they think that uh, this city deserve a better team. Well, they did bring in Roberto Soriano and Nicolas Sansone in January and Mihailovic came in as well and things look a little bit better now. Yeah, sure. Um, we, are, we don't think that uh, probably um, uh, Mihailovic can uh, change so, uh, so uh, completely this mm. team, but uh, it he, his job was very good and we see also today uh, uh, an offensive team not so defense as the Inzaghi's team before was before uh, Soriano and Sansone bring uh, a lot of quality technically to this team that uh, probably I think is one of the uh, poorest team yeah. about technically uh, in Osaria. In mm. Well Federico Santander went off injured in the first half and Regular readers of the website and listeners to our podcast will know that I do not think he is a good footballer at all. And I thought Bologna were actually, they started well, but when he went off, they were a bit better. Palacio went up front. They were a little bit more fluid. Yeah. Things were moving a little bit better. You watch Bologna every week. So tell me why I'm wrong and why Santander is a good player. Well, I think uh, uh, here in Bologna uh, last year, we used to uh, watch uh, 
not so good uh, striker but uh, Federico Santander has something different about uh, in Spanish people said Garra uh, yeah. about uh, um, I don't know how can you say it's it like, almost like a fight yeah almost, fight right? fight uh, he fight every time uh, he's not so uh, so good um, mm. close to the door but uh, here we need also this type of footballer mm. but I think uh, as I said before uh, technically we need more uh, players Rodrigo Palacio mm. that uh, uh, that one exit today and uh, he yeah, deserved a standing ovation even for people it. in the press box here were yeah, standing yeah, up yeah, for yeah, yeah. Uh, because he's a uh, beautiful legend of football he played uh, the World Cup final with Argentina against Germany so for us it's a, a proud to have uh, him here and uh, a curiosity he never scored here at home uh, since uh, he uh, started the, the adventure to Bologna he scored about 10 goals every goal scored away <laughs> so it's crazy yeah, a lot crazy. of chances also today but he had that big chance yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. today he will be lucky that it wasn't important in yeah, the end. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He will be very thankful for that. But before we finish, do you think Bologna will stay in Serie A? Uh, I think, yeah, because uh, uh, next matches are on the, in Italy we said, sulla carta, on the paper, mm. <laughs> are easier than, for example, uh, I don't know, Udinese or Empoli that uh, will challenge, will uh, meet uh, big mm. clubs. Uh, we will um, uh, we will uh, fight against uh, Empoli here and uh, other little team and probably the Lara Stadium where Bologna uh, this year win just three times it could be um, an important mm. uh, way to get the surviving yeah well the fans are always excellent yeah here. they it's cliche to say but those fans do deserve a win like yeah that absolutely they excellent every uh, time I've seen and them. Uh, we are waiting for the new stadium when uh, the stands mm. are we will be closed mm. to the court and probably in italy we have this problem that stands <laughs> are a bit yeah. far from the court yeah. okay alec thank you very much yeah, thank congratulations you. on the win as well and it was good to see you again We've missed Lazio, Fiorentina. Oh, we have. We have. Um, Vieri was there and he did some good work. But, right, let, let's touch on it quickly. We, we, we also missed Frozen on a Torino a bit. Well, I spoke, to, I spoke about them a second ago. Briefly. You mentioned their name. That's good yeah. enough. Right, Lazio, Torino. Or, fuck me. Lazio, uh, Lazio dropped points. As far as yes. I'm concerned, Lazio dropped points. I watched the whole game back this afternoon when I got home from work because I didn't manage to catch it live. But Lazio should have seen that game off first half. Probably Chiri Mobley himself should have seen the game off. Fiorentina's midfield were woeful. You know, Lazio just controlled the, the flow of play first half. And I just can't believe they came away with a point, Fiorentina. Immobile missed that big chance where mm. it, was, it was a bloody good safety fair and it, it hit the post. But he should have done a lot better with it, especially after scoring. You would have thought he would have had the confidence to finish that. I just thought maybe but Fiorentina's defence for that was a mess. There was no shape to their back line. So maybe he just assumed he was offside. Because I did when I saw it at first. I was like, There's no way he can be there and not be offside. But the, the big thing to come out of this was that Federico Chiesa went off injured and he was, he was crying on the bench. I'm not sure 
the extent of the injury, but it seems to be a muscular one. Yeah, there was no reports when we came on. I still hadn't managed to dig anything out. I don't know if he'd had tests today, but or if they're maybe keeping it quiet um, just for the moment. Yeah, but that would be a big, big loss for them if he's out for the season, especially with them being still in the the Coppa Italia quarter or semi-finals with the second leg at Atalanta to come. But they've got they've got nobody else really driving the team forward. They've Muriel no scoring goals, but but Chiesa really picks the team up mm. as well as the ball and drives them forward. He carries them. At times. Yeah, he does, and but, it'll be a huge loss. But then maybe they need to prepare for that in the summer. Yeah, he's probably gonna be off, isn't he? But. I don't know. Um, Aaron Holland says mandatory mention of the legend Mattia Destro because he has the strangest and most inexplicable love for that striker. I, I don't quite understand that. I, I know the Roma link, but I don't get why you love him so much, Aaron. But Kev, we've we've made it through the two mm-hmm. months. Oh, it was it was quite nice. Thanks for coming on and saving me from being alone. Sorry. Right. Um, I hope it was as enjoyable for you as it was for me. Of course. <laughs> but I always anyway. get asked that late at night. <laughs> uh, you'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. Um, all right. Guys, head over to forceitalianfootball.com for all of your latest Serie A news, your match reports, your hashtag FIF at the games, videos from the stadiums, speaking to people who are also at the games. We've been doing everything. And... Yeah, this weekend was a good weekend for us. It was one of those weekends where I, I love the website a little bit more, being at eight of the ten games. It was fantastic. And as tired as I am now after the weekend of being at three games, it's, de- it's definitely worth it. Being here is just so, so good. So, so good. And then you get to eat some nice pasta every other day. So life's not bad out here. But that's all there is for me to say. I'm rambling now. Kev, um, you, can, you can say goodbye to everyone for us this week. Ciao, ciao, everyone. Beautiful. See you next week. Beautiful.
guarda il cielo come blu, con rosso fuoco dell'amore. Dai vestiti così, sei bella più di un fiore. Staremo in curva, abbracciati a tutt'idea. E sarà come sentire la Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.